Hello, and welcome back to SimWhip. Stuff you missed while you were pissed. I'm Mike. And I'm James. And today we're going to do something a little different. Instead of talking about a current piece of legislation in Congress, we're going to talk about a law that's been in place for a little over a decade. A law concerning torture and the legal rights of detainees at Guantanamo Bay. See, the new nominee for CIA director has been all over the news regarding her past involvement with enhanced interrogation techniques. And this seems to have revived an ethical debate over torture, interrogation, and indefinite detention. But we're not really into current events. It's mostly just reporting tweets these days anyway. And we definitely don't like politics on the show. So we're going to use these current events as an excuse to talk about policy, legislation, and legal struggles with Guantanamo detainees. But first, a trip to Bosnia. Mentally, of course, like, use your imagination and stuff. It's 1997. Lakhtar Boumedien and his family moved to Bosnia and Herzegovina. Mr. Boumedien has been assigned to the Sarajevo office of the Red Crescent Society of the United Arab Emirates. He served as director of humanitarian aid for children who were affected by the violence of the Balkan conflicts. He became a Bosnian citizen the following year. But three years later, about a month after the September 11th attacks, Mr. Boumedien and five other men were arrested by local authorities at the request of the U.S. government. Even though Bosnian courts found no evidence against Mr. Boumedien, he was seized by U.S. officials and sent off to Guantanamo Bay, along with the other five men. They would later become known in the U.S. media as the Bosnian Six. The U.S. government believed that Mr. Boumedien was plotting to blow up the U.S. embassy in Sarajevo. He was innocent, but unfortunately, it would take seven years before a court would hear his case. To quote Mr. Boumedien from his New York Times article, I still had faith in American justice. I believed my captors would quickly realize their mistake and let me go. But when I would not give the interrogators the answer they wanted, how could I when I had done nothing wrong, they became more and more brutal. I was kept awake for many days straight. I was forced to remain in painful positions for hours at a time. Mr. Boumedien also went on a hunger strike for two years, but was force-fed through a tube to keep him alive. During this time, Mr. Boumedien repeatedly demanded a fair legal process to have his case heard before a United States court. And in 2004, after three years without any legal representation, Wilmer Hale agreed to represent the six Bosnian men pro bono. Meanwhile, two landmark Supreme Court cases were playing out, Rasul v. Bush, and Hamdi v. Rumsfeld. Both of these cases concerned the writ to habeas corpus and the suspension clause in Article 1, Section 9 of the U.S. Constitution. In the U.S., a federal court can use a writ of habeas corpus on behalf of a prisoner to challenge the lawfulness of their imprisonment. Section 9 of the Constitution concerns the limits of Congress's power, in particular, The suspension clause concerns Congress and writs of habeas corpus. It reads, The privilege of the writ of habeas corpus shall not be suspended, unless when in cases of rebellion or invasion, the public safety may require it. 
there have been multiple cases throughout U.S. history that clarify the writ to habeas corpus and how the suspension clause can be used. But it's important to remember that this clause is a limit on Congress. The Constitution does not create the right of habeas corpus, that's done in federal statutes, but it limits when Congress can take it away. In the case of Hamdi versus Rumsfeld, Yasser Hamdi, an American citizen, was declared an unlawful enemy combatant by the executive branch of the U.S. government, suspected of fighting with the Taliban, and sent to Guantanamo Bay for indefinite detainment without any legal representation. The question was, did this violate Hamdi's Fifth Amendment rights as a citizen? Basically, yes. But the court also established some precedents here. Guantanamo Bay wasn't off-limits for the writ of habeas corpus. In the case of Rasul versus Bush, four British and Australian citizens were captured by the U.S. for suspected terrorism and sent to Guantanamo Bay for indefinite detainment without any legal representation. The question was, do U.S. courts have jurisdiction over appeals from foreign citizens detained in Guantanamo Bay? Again, yes. The Supreme Court ruled that Guantanamo Bay was entirely controlled by the United States. Even though Cuba maintained ultimate sovereignty over the area, Cuba's government had no control over the U.S. base in Guantanamo. Therefore, any prisoners within the base were within the jurisdiction of U.S. courts. These two cases may not seem like a big deal, but they would both pave the way for Mr. Boumediene's case just four years later. It's 2005, and Congress has a defense appropriations bill on the Senate floor. There's an addition to the spending bill, primarily pushed by Senator John McCain, Title 10, Division A. It would later be known as the Detainee Treatment Act of 2005. The amendment prohibited the Department of Defense from using cruel, inhuman, or degrading treatment or punishment. Though this phrase wasn't defined explicitly until 2008, it intended to place a limitation on the lengths our country would go on its war on terrorism. The amendment also had the Department of Defense follow the Army Field Manual for Gathering Human Intelligence, created tribunals for reviewing the status of detainees in Guantanamo Bay, allowed detainees to file habeas corpus appeals, though no particular procedure was described, and gave immunity to government officials who were authorized to engage in activity that might be considered cruel, inhuman, or degrading, so long as authorization was given and the activity was determined to be lawful at the time. For four years, Guantanamo Bay had been operating far outside of the U.S. Constitution and far outside of our generally accepted moral compass, but the Detainee Treatment Act was supposed to steer us back on track. Unfortunately, while the amendment ended up passing in December of 2005, as an addition to the defense spending bill, the spending bill itself didn't pass for a few more months. During that time, the Graham-Levin Amendment was passed and added to the spending bill, and a few months after that, the Military Commissions Act of 2006 was passed into law. The Graham-Levin Amendment and the Military Commissions Act basically declared that detainees at Guantanamo could not request a writ of habeas corpus to U.S. courts. Instead, military tribunals were established in Guantanamo, and those tribunals would hear the cases of detainees. 
This allowed the legislative and the executive branches to control their own judicial systems in Guantanamo Bay, preventing appeals and requests by detainees from making it to U.S. courts and declaring detainees as unlawful enemy combatants rather than prisoners of war. But in 2006, the case of Hamdan versus Rumsfeld makes it to the Supreme Court. Salim Ahmed Hamdan was Osama bin Laden's former chauffeur. He was detained indefinitely in Guantanamo Bay, where he filed a petition for a writ of habeas corpus to U.S. courts. Before he received a response, he was declared an unlawful enemy combatant by a military tribunal. Months later, his petition was granted. The question here was, could Congress or the executive branch even authorize military tribunals? And the Supreme Court ruled that they could not, at least not in this case which meant that detainees and Guantanamo still had to go through U.S. courts, per the Rasul v. Bush case. And U.S. courts could enforce rights granted to prisoners of war by the Geneva Convention. Basically, the military tribunals established in the Graham-Levin Amendment were unconstitutional. And this brings us back to Mr. Boumedien. In 2008, the case of Boumedien v. Bush was brought before the Supreme Court. The three cases we've mentioned thus far were just a few of those cited in Mr. Boumedien's favor. But remember, because of the Military Commissions Act, detainees could not petition a writ to habeas corpus to any federal court. They had to go through the Military Commission, which is like a tribunal. This meant months or years before a detainee may even get a hearing before a federal court. And Guantanamo is considerably worse than any state or federal prison. So it took four years after gaining legal representation before Mr. Boumedien's case was heard before the Supreme Court. All the while, he was in Guantanamo. In this landmark case, the Supreme Court ruled that certain clauses within the Military Commissions Act was a violation of the suspension clause of the Constitution. Furthermore, the Supreme Court also ruled that the Fifth Amendment right to not be deprived of liberty before due process of law is extended to detainees of Guantanamo Bay. In other words, detainees could not be prevented from seeking habeas corpus. Five months after the Supreme Court ruling, a federal district court judge reviewed all of the evidence for Mr. Boumedien's case. But before a hearing could take place, the U.S. government dropped all charges. In May 2009, Lakdar Boumedien, along with four out of the other five Bosnian detainees, were released from Guantanamo Bay after seven and a half years of imprisonment. So what does this have to do with the new nominee for CIA director, Gina Haspel? Her nomination gave us an excuse to talk about the Detainee Treatment Act and Supreme Court cases regarding habeas corpus. Well, yeah, but we need to tie all of that stuff together with the controversy of her nomination. I mean, we just spent 10 minutes talking about Guantanamo Bay, and the CIA doesn't even run it. It's a military base. Sure. All right. The controversy is that she ran a CIA black site in Thailand and was involved in destroying incriminating tapes which contained evidence of the CIA torturing detainees, part of their enhanced interrogation techniques. James, tell us how all that fits together. 
Well, two months after the tapes were destroyed, the Detainee Treatment Act passed. The CIA Enhanced Interrogation Program ran from 2001 to 2007, and the CIA officially held zero detainees by 2008, almost entirely because of this legislation and the Supreme Court cases. Ah, yes. Remember the Supreme Court cases we mentioned? All three of them? Well, according to the 2014 Senate report on the CIA's use of torture, the 2004 Rasul v. Bush case actually prompted the CIA to move detainees out of Guantanamo Bay, which means people were tortured there. And in 2006, following the Hamdan v. Rumsfeld case along with the Detainee Treatment Act, the CIA temporarily suspended all detention facilities. In that same Senate report, many of the transferred Guantanamo detainees described torture at CIA detention facilities. In other words, as U.S. court jurisdiction extended to Guantanamo Bay and detainees could petition habeas corpus, it became more difficult for the CIA to continue their operations there. And once the Detainee Treatment Act prohibited any kind of cruel and inhumane treatment or punishment, these facilities became 100% illegal. Well, not 100%. The exact definition of cruel, inhuman, or degrading treatment or punishment wasn't put into U.S. law until 2008, right about the time that the CIA permanently ended their detention facilities and enhanced interrogation program. And right about the time that Mr. Boumediene's case extended habeas corpus to all Guantanamo detainees, which would mean a lot of federal courts hearing cases on enhanced interrogation. Current U.S. law prohibits the use of cruel, inhuman, or degrading treatment or punishment on any detainee or prisoner, regardless of geographic location. And Gina Haspel acknowledges this in her Senate intelligence hearing. The U.S. government has a clear legal and policy framework that governs detentions and interrogations. Specifically, the law provides that no individual in U.S. custody may be subjected to any interrogation technique or approach that is not authorized by and listed in the Army Field Manual. I fully support the detainee treatment required by law, and just as importantly, I will keep CIA focused on our collection and analysis missions that can best leverage the expertise we have at the agency. She also said this when asked whether or not the CIA program that ran from 2001 to 2007 was moral. Senator, um, my father's watching today. He served 33 years in the Air Force. My parents gave me a very strong moral compass. I, I support the higher moral standard that this country has decided to hold itself to. I would never, ever take CIA back to an interrogation program. First of all, CIA follows the law. We followed the law then. We follow the law today. I support the law. I wouldn't support a change in the law, but I'll tell you this. I would not put CIA officers at risk by asking them to undertake risky, controversial activity again. So does this mean Gina Haspel would make a good CIA director? We don't know. We've never worked in a government intelligence bureau, so we can't really judge her resume. Regarding the tapes, her conduct was reviewed by the CIA and they found no fault. She was just following orders. And the detention sites were authorized while she was in charge of one. That doesn't condone any of this, 
it just makes it complicated to judge one person for the collective actions of the entire bureau. And again, we like to stick to the policy, to the data. Reading through legislation, committee studies, and court cases gives these things context. Ultimately, this CIA director nomination was an excuse for us to research and talk about habeas corpus, which I think is way more interesting. But I'm weird. Yes, yes, you definitely are. So now on to the part where we actually talk about our feelings and work through our heavy fuck psychological issues. All right. I realize and I'm, I'm not going to edit the episode for this, but before you start your discussion point, I realize that I we focus a lot on habeas corpus cuz I find it so interesting like these cases were very interesting to me and I don't think I ever mentioned like why that's a big deal that I think before I go into my point, you should probably explain that for the audience if they aren't already up to speed on that. Yeah, I don't know if I don't know if anybody got the hint from the from all the times that we were saying indefinite detention um, and no legal representation. But basically, habeas corpus, we, we define habeas corpus. So I, I but I, I never actually explicitly connected the dots there. Um, but habeas corpus is when you petition for a writ to habeas corpus. Um, a federal court judge basically, um, uh, uh, or sorry, yeah, you petition for it, a federal court judge uh, will do it, and then that that can basically have a court hearing for you to evaluate the lawfulness of your imprisonment. So, you know, were you actually imprisoned lawfully or was it unlawfully? Uh, the problem with uh, Guantanamo Bay and these detainees for so many years um, was they could be wrongfully imprisoned and have no way to actually get a hearing. And they were indefinitely detained. Uh, so they were they were detained basically uh, potentially forever if nobody did anything about it. They had no legal representation. Um, I would imagine no knowledge of the US legal system. And then also no recourse to get a hearing uh, for somebody outside of that base to say oh hey you probably shouldn't be here because you're innocent or um yeah you should you know you should be punished for a crime but probably not the guantanamo bay kind of crime or please tell me why i'm in here it's been five years i want to see my family and i don't know why i'm here oh yeah the, there's also that whole thing of they don't know why they're there <laughs> yeah that, that... <laughs> you could be just taken to guantanamo bay and nobody tells you why God, that is like the worst surprise field trip ever. That's okay. We probably should make a joke about that because that's actually really horrific. And it's honestly just scary. It's a human rights violation, like the very definition of one. In, at least in in my opinion, maybe our opinion, but no, yeah. No, that's definitely a human rights violation. Yeah. Like yeah. undeniably like human rights council, like UN, everyone's just like, uh, nah. America, what are you doing? That's a no for me, dog. Um, oh, man. All right, just get to your discussion point. All right. Jesus. So there's like three paragraphs. I'm probably going to parse it down, seeing how it's like two in the morning. All right. Uh, We're very tired. So we have the Detainee Treatment Act, 
that was made with the goal of moving the U.S. away from torturing prisoners in the name of national security. It is understandable that people would go to great lengths to protect themselves and their country from what some would call an existential threat to their way of life. The court cases that we went over in the top half of the episode show us how the government can check itself to preserve our nation's principles. You know, I'm not going to dive any deeper into Gina Haspel's actions. You can throw a stone and find a publication that goes into those specifics. That being said, there are definitely some questions to be asked about her actions. You know, now, did she simply do this because she was following, at the time, lawful orders from her superiors? Or was there malicious intent behind that? You know, we know from the Milgram experiments that roughly 60 to 70% of participants would willingly go through with malicious action if commanded to do so. I'm not in her head, so I don't know. She did state before Congress, however, that if appointed, that she would not resume the CIA's torture program, which I feel is definitely a step in the right direction. Though we currently do have an administration that stated that torture works. Um, but if this administration decides to go against the laws on the book and use enhanced interrogation techniques, will she say yes and stick to that? Luckily, we do have her on record saying that she would do exactly that and tell the president no. You know, if her goal is to run the CIA, it would make sense that she wouldn't use enhanced interrogation techniques because we know they are an ineffective way to gain reliable information, and that's stated within their own reports. Ultimately, I hope she would stick to her guns with not pursuing forward with any enhanced interrogation programs. Beyond that, you know, I can't judge an intelligence officer because that definitely hasn't been my field of expertise. Oh my, I was, I, I was gonna, but that, that would have been mean. That would have, <laughs> I was gonna, <laughs> uh, when you're like, ultimately, I can't judge an intelligence officer. And I was gonna be like, because that requires intelligence. <laughs> but that's horrible. That's a horrible thing to say. And um, we're equals in this partnership. We are. We are. I just, it's like, it, I, no, no, no. I, honestly, I'm not meaning it. I don't mean it like to, to be demeaning or to be mean. It was like, it, it was, was just, a good setup. As you said that, like the first thing that pops into my head is just like, because that requires intelligence. And I laughed because I thought it. And then I wanted to say it because I'm, I'm slightly autistic. And this is just, I need to say everything that comes into my head. You know what that is? That's growth. Yeah, and so I was just like, oh, I, I can't because it would be mean. But if I explain it and give it some context, then maybe it makes me seem like less of an asshole. Anyways, um, because I usually absorb all sound waves, uh, sound wave space for our episodes, um, uh, James was going to pretty much take the discussion piece here. I think he did a pretty good job. Um, but yeah, we just wanted to... we just. We used Gina Haspel's news stuff to talk about uh, the stuff going on in Guantanamo Bay and the Supreme Court cases and the Detainee Treatment Act. So that's pretty much it for this episode. Wrapping it up now, folks, because uh, it's 2.30 a.m. and we're super f***ing tired. You can find us at simwhip.com. That's the website. Or at simwhip for our Twitter handle. Or anywhere that podcasts can be heard, except for the places where we aren't. But try SoundCloud, iTunes, uh, Stitcher, um, and others. 
There's a couple others. I can't remember them right now. Again, reiterate, very tired. Um, also, since this wasn't about any current legislation, don't contact your senators or representatives. And as I said that, I realized it sounded like I told you not to do it ever. Yeah, go ahead and do that. That's fine. So just don't ever, don't ever contact them. That's good. And let the cycle continue. Let the cycle continue. This, all of this happened because none of us contacted our senators and representatives. No, no, it happened because it happened because humans are, humans are stupid. Uh, so then, yeah, I mean, if you liked us, um, please subscribe and give us uh, a five star review. Share us with your friends. Um, if you think it's a if it's a good quality podcast, uh, maybe they'll like it. Uh, maybe they won't, and they'll spit in your face. In which case, we are not held liable for any saliva in your face. It's in the terms and conditions. Yep. When you hit subscribe, don't tell them that. When you tell them to hit subscribe, your friends. I mean, when you share. All right. I'm gonna go jump into the void. Good night. <laughs>